you know what? We had a little jig to the opening credits there, didn't we? That's my way into it. It's such a shame that this podcasting thing doesn't involve a little bit of video. I'm still jigging. <laughs> I might just jig for the full 58 minutes. That'd be the exercise. Yeah, chaps. Yeah. <laughs> Get our steps in whilst we're actually doing this. <laughs> Welcome to the Book Whisperers podcast number three. Ooh. And have we got treats in store for you, have we? Yes, we, we have. have. What we are have. we doing this week, chaps? Well, we're talking history, aren't we? Yes. We're talking about historical stuff. Actually, the reason that we are doing that is because the way history feeds into creative work is pretty special, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And we've all done a little bit of dabbling in that department. Well, Well, speak for yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Dabbling. (laughs) Dabbling. Me, a woman of my calibre. (laughs) No, you're right. I I, I do a little bit of dabbling. So we're going to have a theme this week. We've yeah. gone all creative and all professional. We're theming our weeks. This yeah. week is, is yeah. history. And before we start, we want to tell you a little bit about who we are, just in case you'd forgotten, as if you would. <laughs> so, who would like to go first? Hang on a minute. I'm just going to juggle the straws. Not the straws again. Yeah. Those imaginary ones. Lee, have oh. a little... Have oh, a little. Oh, oh, oh. I'll just... Draw for them now. Oh, you, Lee, you got the short straw. Oh, Shame. Straw. Okay. <laughs> Mary. I'll take my straw. Thank oh, you. Mary, you got the long straw. Off you go. <laughs> I, have to, I have to tell you all, there's no straws in sight. There's no straws involved in the making of this podcast. <laughs> no straws were hurt. Environmentally friendly. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes, I'm Mary Turner-Thompson. I am a memoir writer and writing coach and a publisher of children's books by Children for children uh, with my company Whitewater Publishing and um, I'm interested in all things books um, but her specialist subject is psychopathy which is not nothing to do with the work I do with children. I have a very yin and yang career you know working with psychopaths and psychopath victims and working with children writing children's books and, and helping kids become published authors to help them look at books and reading and writing better so I do all sorts of things. That didn't twice. occur to me actually that you're right there there's a balance actually and there yeah. has to be a balance because you do get immersed in your work don't mm. you? But it's, it's it's a lovely kind of release as well because if, you know there's a lot a very dark side yeah. to the psychopathy and, and working with victims of psychopaths as well. But um, you know working with uh, the kids is just absolutely delightful. It's just you know, so there's things. Yeah, it, it really brings light to it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I love that. Um, so. Um, so who got the medium sized straw? Oh, that's it, me. It's you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> if I must, <laughs> you're ahead. I don't. Yeah. Uh, my name is Susan Cohen. I'm a writer and a publisher. And and I run the rebook company and two sister companies soon to be launched. Mm. I know, I sent the first book of the second company to print this morning. I know it's <gasps> very exciting. So exciting. I know. It's mainly comedy I do, but I kind of wrong foot, hopefully, the reader in that um, it's dressed up in comedy, but underneath it we try and uh, embed messages of, of motivation and positivity. And the reason for that is that Scotland has one of the lowest rates of the uptake of motivational books in Europe yet we have one of the highest rates of um, difficulties with her mental health 
Wow. So we we try to put good stuff out there and dress it up in mints and havers. Oh, how lovely. <laughs> I love that. Mints and havers. Mints and havers. Dress it up in mints and havers. Oh, what a Not great a line. Not a tatty sight. Not a tatty sight. So who do the short story? Oh, oh really? Lovely. I know I'm going to take up all this, the podcast now, telling you all about myself. <laughs> I love <laughs> that. This and this and this. Um, I'm Lee Taylor. No relation to Liz. Don't have the bling. Um, I'm a storyteller. <laughs> well, I did have some bling this You're morning. Blingy. Thanks very much. Um, <laughs> I'm a storyteller. And in the nature of my work as a storyteller, I tell stories to schools and care homes. But I also do performances, which takes me onto the international and national stage. So I write my own plays and stories for that and work collaboratively with musicians and artists and dancers, all kinds, but mostly from the traditional um, perspective. So it'd be what we call the tracks perspective, which is traditional arts, which is storytelling, dance and music. Wow. So that's one arm yeah. of it. Um, the other part is I'm an author um, and I I have written, most of the things that I've written so far have been on folk tales. So folk tales, local folk tales about Edinburgh and Midlothian and then I've written folk tales for children, which is animals, beasties, and monsters of Scotland. Just give that plug. Yeah, <laughs> um, <laughs> always worthwhile. Go for it. I'm just finishing off um, my own novel, which I hope to have published before the end of the year, with my own publishing company, Scaramouche Yay. Press. Hey, which gets yeah. Yeah. next month. Yay! That's exciting. So, and that's mostly e-publishing, so it's it's digital publishing that we're looking at. So it's nice Fantastic. and green. Yeah. So exciting, isn't it? it is, There's yeah. nothing you can't do, Lee Taylor. Not nothing. Well, skydiving, perhaps. Not very good. That's totally because you you've not it, tried it yet. Yeah. yeah. I it. I, and if you did do skydiving, you know, absolutely, you would tell the story on the way down. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Once upon a time. You start lead the community singing as soon as the parachute's open. <laughs> Fantastic. So collectively, we are the, the Book, book whisperers. whisperers. We didn't whisper it that time. Okay. <laughs> we'll do it, okay. Collectively, we are the, the book, book whisperers. whisperers. We don't have to whisper it every time. <laughs> you can find us lurking. We lurk, don't we? Yes. We lurk on Facebook and uh, we have approximately... you're going to say behind bookshelves. So. <laughs> really, really confused people. Jumping out at them. No, no, no. That is not true as well, though, isn't it? It is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Missed the bookshops not being open during lockdown, you know, because they're hanging around, you know, just leaning on a shelf. I have been known to lurk around Waterstones and places and put my books right at the front. <laughs> so, oh, you might want to look at that one there for Christmas. That looks wonderful. Do you know, I was always told that by the publishers, whenever you pass a bookshop, you should go in and offer to sign your own books. So I would go into places like Waterstones and say, oh, yeah, and there's, you know, I'm, I'm Mary Turner Thompson. Would you like me to sign The Bigamist for you? And they'd say, yeah, yeah, that'd be great. You know, And the reason the publisher would want you to do it is because if it's signed, they can't send it back. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. So it's better value for the reader, you know, who's buying it because it's a signed copy. But they also can't return it to the publisher. <laughs> yeah, I've been doing that in Watson, Watson. Yeah. No. Oh, there you are. Value for yeah. money right yeah. at the top end of the podcast. Right <laughs> at the top end. <laughs> so we're going to go through this hour by, first of all, giving you some whisperings, which yeah. are questions from our lovely book whisperers online. Then we have got 
one of our very own prospective authors and storytellers, Malcolm Scott Milne. Hooray! Malcolm is a very active member of the Book Whisperers group and he's going to be coming up and then we're going to be doing some of our own work. I'm actually quite scared. (laughs) No, you'll be fine. fine. It's all going to be good. Says the professional storyteller. We talk about Lee's storytelling voice all the time and secretly we're really, really jealous. What do you mean secretly? This yes. Secret <laughs> right it's out in the secret. open with it. It's <laughs> like so very openly give jealous. You tips. Well, we want tips. That's the whole train. point. Yeah. Oh, yes. I'd love that. Mm. You see, look at the value for money. This podcast is good. Right? Yeah, it's amazing. Oh, I listened to it. In fact, I did. <laughs> Blind questions from the Book Whisperers, Mm. which you can join on Facebook for sure. Our little whisperings. Who would like to read out the first question? Don't make me get out the straws again. I think think you should do it, Sue. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) you wrong-footed me. (laughs) Speechless for a second there. That doesn't happen happen very often (laughs) to any of us. Betsy Anderson, our lovely Betsy Anderson's asking, given that perception is the lens through which we create or record reality, is history different for everyone? Mm-hmm. That's a very good question. It is, isn't yeah. it? It really is. Well done, Betsy. Yeah. I think it is different for everybody because it's subjective. I think so as well. Mm. Yeah, mm. I think I think what makes it different now is I mean the books we read nowadays, it's the person who is writing that history's perception of history. You know the the, the actual dates, like someone's born, someone's died, are facts. But you know, sort of like where they were politically and what they did and whether it was good or bad is is by written by the historian. Whereas nowadays, because we have the internet, we have so many different points of view of the same facts you know I mean look at the, what's happening in American history right now and in the world mm. history of the pandemic and how many different you know, perspectives there are mm. you know you wonder what the history books are going to make of it in a year a hundred years time mm. and they're going to look back at this time and go you know sort of like that, that what these are the definitive, definitive facts about it because there's going to be so many different versions and it will be put into different categories as well yeah. thinking about it like a woman's perspective mm-hmm. or um, uh, you know someone from from Australia's perspective or something yeah. like that, different mm. continents and, and things like that, it kind of gets meted out in different ways. So, you know, depending on what your penchant is. Just penchant. 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 <laughs> depending on what your poncho is. <laughs> you will go towards, you will be drawn towards, like I'm a, fem- I'm a feminist, so I'd be drawn towards the feminist perspective yeah. to see what how a woman would, would be looking at or perceiving or writing about, say, the pandemic in 100 years' time. Assuming I'm still alive in 100 years. You so will be. They've cured old age, by then. I have to say, though, the F word, feminist word. (laughs) Oh, I thought you were going to say... I thought you were going to get a cuckoo cuckoo there. again. (laughs) The feminist word is a really interesting example of, of the discussion of history. Yeah. And and how it is perceived, how it was perceived right at the beginning and how it has mutated and we've got second and third wave feminism and how it's reinterpreted yeah. and reinterpreted and misinterpreted. And there's different types of feminists as well, like soft feminists, radical feminists, uh, postmodern feminists. I'm not quite sure where I sit amongst all of that. I know that I'm I'm a feminist, but I've got my own particular view. Yeah. But there are some that, that are completely... A, a radical departure from my view of 
feminism. Yeah. But we'll get off that subject. <laughs> it is. You're, and you're right, it's a real hot potato, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. It really is. And it's and, uh, and I like you, I have absolutely no qualms about saying I'm a feminist, but I, I've, I sometimes see it to elicit a reaction in the other person. <laughs> but I think it's a really interesting question in that, you know, we, I think we were speaking last night because we go live on Facebook mm-hmm. 8 o'clock on a Monday night, mm-hmm. every, every Monday, and we were just saying uh, last night that um, living through lockdown, we were very conscious of living through a period in history which was unprecedented. And we all had the experience of being locked down on a certain date and then the lockdown starting to be released slowly in various parts of the country. And we shared that common experience, but only in terms of the dates and the policies, but Mm. actually our our own life and our own own lived experiences were completely different. Mm. And I think that was a real... um, lesson for me because I think we also sort of said last night that, that none of us were turned on to history at school. Yeah. So when you, you, you read what they, they purport to, to, to present to you as, as a history book, it was no such thing. Yeah. It was a very dry, dull text. So crashing you over the head with yes, dull it facts. Was. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, 1066 means nothing to me. <laughs> to really work hard <laughs> on the not to swear there <laughs> but it has no relevance to my life whatsoever yeah. at all mm-hmm. but you know the suffragette movement yeah. which was not covered in any of, of my history topics at school although I did drop it when I was 14 right enough but you know that, that's real relevance yeah. to my life and I didn't yeah. realise that until I was sort of late 30s I'd gone back to university you for a second time conversely my, I actually have quite a personal connection to 1066, all right, because my, um, because through my mother, I can actually trace back my family tree to the King of Scotland at the time, the King of the Danes, who was killed at Stamford Bridge, uh, and uh, one other person involved are all ancestors of mine. Oh, no. So, and my... That's why she's wearing that tiara again. <laughs> The taffeta ball gown, of course, and it's pouring rain. I know. It's and it's not everybody can carry off a ball gown with Wellington no, boots, but no, still. Yeah, yeah. But I think that, I don't think the bejazzled Wellington boots work, don't yeah. they? <laughs> I think you might be thinking about another kind of bejazzle. I'm not sure. <laughs> Moving on. Moving on. Yes. So, that's so, yes. amazing. So I do have a, I mean, I look at this 1066 and I, I look at it in the context of my ancestors who who were involved. And because, because it, we can actually trace the family back to even Robert Bruce, um, because the thing is, once you hit a vein in ancestry, and, and you see, you know, you get any of the any duke goes back to a king goes back, you know, you you now have dates and times and stuff like that, um, and the facts that are based on your your family tree. But yeah, sort of my uh, lot, my my mother's family came over with um, William. So they actually, mm. they were part of that battle. So, and they actually settled in Guernsey. They were given land in Guernsey to, uh, to as a reward for their help in 1066. So, yeah. <clears throat> so, yeah, so that side of history, you know, when you, when you have a personal connection to it and you start hearing the stories of the people that were involved, yeah. that's when it comes alive for me. It's not sort of the dry facts and the politics that was going on at the time, but the actual personal stories yes. of the people involved. And that's I think that's what brings history it does. It much brings more. It alive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, I, I'm I'm now. I mean, I wasn't interested in history when I was at school, but I'm now utterly fascinated by it. And I, but you know, I love I love sort of I, I'm writing history. So, and I'm I'm you know. 
And that's a little it. teaser for later on, so I believe. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's my, no- my novel that I'm writing is, uh, has got a history connection. It's got a modern day connection. It's time slip fantasy. Time slip fantasy. I say. It's the sort oh. of thing you have to say really good. Time slip fantasy. <laughs> it's like, I, I never even knew there was such a category, but there you go. <laughs> no, I've never heard of it either. Time it's slip. great though, isn't it? Mm. Listen, can so. I cheat and just do another little question that I found off, off the internet when I was I was consulting Madame Le Google last night? Yeah, of course. <laughs> I found a really interesting thing that's from someone I'd never heard of before. I'm hoping that Madame Andrew Le Google... Ah, oh, well, you'll I, know. Yeah, no, she's, so. she's, not, she's not taking yeah. the mic then. Andrew Lang, mm-hmm. Scottish critic, born in 1844... Um, in Selkirk, referred to him as a, uh, referred to himself as a psycho folklorist. Yeah, he's amazing. He's got lots of different books. Well, this is a really interesting point that he and it's something that never occurred to me. He was fascinated with the journeys behind well-known stories, and for example, he would ask questions such as, "At what point does the tale of Cinderella?" stop being the same story if it is altered to fit new cultural surroundings each time it is retold. Some might say the presence of two ugly stepsisters or a glass slipper is crucial to the tale, but Lang wrote that it was a person in a mean or obscure position that by means of supernatural assistant goes on to make a good marriage, something we still describe as a Cinderella story in popular media today. I find that absolutely fascinating yeah. mm-hmm. because Cinderella is something that we all know and we all see performed every year and it's still the highest grossing pantomime. Whenever Cinderella goes on, then everybody just goes to mm-hmm. see it. So what is the thing that you would take from Cinderella in the present day? Because what I've always taken is that a, a person can rise through the ranks mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. sweeping the floor of a kitchen to her, her dreams by, by tenacity. That's what I actually do. I, I take Cinderella as being quite a tenacious, strong character who overcomes adversity and with a little bit of nudge from the universe ends up in the position that she dreams of. It's like the story of life, really. All of us have adverse conditions, adverse things happen to us, you know, as, as we travel through life. And I, that's, that's how I perceive it. But the interesting thing is that because we're feminists, we believe that's possible. Mm-hmm. And so we are coming from that in a society where it's possible to graft until you get to where you want to go. Yeah. Andrew Lang, writing in eighteen, you know, in the, the late eighteen hundreds, is saying, by means of supernatural assistance. Yeah, I, I was going to come as you were. So I, I look at the story of Cinderella. I only realised quite how how powerful a story it was when I'm a single mom, and I have three children. And I was looking at the three children like they were the stepsisters and the and the and the stepmom. Mm. And it's like suddenly when you're doing everything and no one's paying attention to you and you're left pretty much sleeping in the the cinders whilst everybody else goes off to the party. Yeah. And yeah. I just went, I get it. I get exactly where this story comes from <laughs> because I started feeling exactly like Cinderella, except for there was no Prince Charming coming to save me. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no. yeah. And I do so so I can see the real attraction of that story. Anyone who's been a mother with small children feels mm-hmm. that way. And, you know, so as a result, but it's that lovely idea of some some godmother, some lovely agency is going to come and actually say, no, you shall go to the ball, you know, and mm-hmm. you shall, you know, come out of this and be... It's got you know, a cultural specificity mm-hmm. to it as well, because if you think in terms of um, some cultures where the woman's role 
is not about sort of moving forward in, in the sense of um, realising her own potential. Mm. Her role is just to be a domestic... domestic a servant. Like a servant, yeah. for example. Mm. Like if you think in terms of uh, the Middle East, women's roles mm. there. I'd be interested to know how they would perceive that, yeah. uh, what their take on it would be. But because in our culture it's expected or it's... It's one of those things that is accepted for women to be able to move up and move move higher and realise the potential or the op- opportunities are there. Mm-hmm. We we accept that as a given, but mm-hmm. it, like I say, it's a cultural specific. Mm-hmm. And that's a good point, isn't it? It's not just in terms of of, of history mm-hmm. and the, the times that we live in. The times that we live in are not universal. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah. we're we're living in a society which which affords us freedoms to to graft and find our prince or not. <laughs> <laughs> Get a couple, cut out. Yeah. <coughs> Get a yeah. dog, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> That's <laughs> what <better>. I did. <laughs> did you just say exactly the same thing? <laughs> or cardboard, cardboard cutout. You cardboard cutout, yeah. washing up or you know, worrying Yeah, about, but you'd, yeah. you'd have to dust the cardboard cutout. Oh, I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> Moving swiftly on. Anyway... <laughs> I think that is a lovely thing, isn't it? The fact that, that um, you, and, and I remember, uh, I think a couple of weeks back, somebody had asked us, I think online, um, what was our intention when we were reading? Mm-hmm. Uh, what was the big pardon when we were writing? What's our intention? In fact, it's irrelevant, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because actually, once you release that, that story out into the world, our intention is, is irrelevant. And in fact, it belongs to the reader, it belongs mm-hmm. to the audience. And Cinderella, that's a perfect example, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I love the fact that Cinderella is moving with our times. Yeah. And in the next few decades, what on earth is she going to be to, um, to the, you know, the future? There was an example of um, working with some children in the school once um, on Cinderella. And I love the fact that the girl, one of the girls had taken it, that Cinderella goes off and she doesn't marry the prince. She goes off to university instead. Uh-huh. She, you know, she has a bit of a dalliance with him and then says, no, nah, I'm, 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 I'm good. I'm good. I'm going to get married. <laughs> See you later. <laughs> but that's, I mean, again, yeah. that's it, the story morphing. It's, it's, yeah. it's kind of giving you an insight about what's going on in the culture at the time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Lovely. No, I love that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Have we got time to squeeze in a little quick uh, one from Tony Thompson? Lovely yeah. Tony here, Book Whisperer, um, is asking, do you choose the historical information that suits your point of view? Mm. Mm. Not necessarily, because otherwise it would be too biased. I like to be able to put a, a bit of a balance to it. Yeah. Um, I don't always yeah. think about my point of view, you know, the, the bias in my point of view. It sort of like just depends on what, what I've garnered and mm. how, it, how it feeds the story. Yeah. I think. I don't know. I'm sort of thinking, I'm trying to sort of think the, the question, do you, do you choose the historical information, the particular point of view? Well, I mean, if I was looking at, for instance, like Henry VIII, mm-hmm. um, you know, my point of view would be very much from the, because of, because of the people I'm talking to is women's issues, it's recovery from trauma and stuff like that. I would certainly be looking at that historical event from the point of view of the women uh-huh. that survived. Um you know, sort of like I would be looking as opposed to somebody who's, um, you know, a man might be looking at it from how powerful he was as a king and, you know, be getting the choices mm. oh, that yeah, he had. Yeah, yeah. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. So it, it, we would be looking at history from our own point of view, whether we mm. know it or not. Yeah. Mm. Because, you know, you know yeah. so it's, it's a, a bit like, is it Philip Gregory? 
No, she writes the all the Tudor yeah, yeah. stories. Uh-huh. She always writes the woman's point of view. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's a, a yeah. Good I suppose essentially what she's saying is, you know, you know, we're human. Yeah. yeah. You know, we're never going to be able, and even if we did purposely try to sit in the middle and present a balance, actually, it might be impossible mm. because we have our own our own yeah. sort of cultural goggles and our, our own sort of political goggles on. Yeah. So that's well, always like, going to affect... Like you're saying about that the, we've all, all gone through this historical event of the pandemic and lockdown, etc. But everybody's individual experience is very, very different. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it doesn't... You could you could have seven billion different, you yeah. know, mm-hmm. stories mm-hmm. Of, the, of this historical event. It just depends yeah. which household you were in mm-hmm. and which yeah. country you were in and yeah. what body you were in. <laughs> yeah. And I suppose also this points to, to politics. We've all, you know, witnessed... Uh, you know, a politician stand up and and mutate history, mm-hmm. like a, like a bit oh, of play doh. You know, yeah. scratch it and yeah. and put it into the mold and say, well, this is what happened. You think, did it? Did it really? Not really. Not really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it makes me think of alternative the alternative pond. history. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, talking about history, look look how professional we are today. We are, aren't we? We're we on, are it. going to call <laughs> our lovely Malcolm Scott Milne, who is who knew it a history buff himself. Mm. He's going to tell us all about it in just two shakes of a lamb's tail. That's what we see up in the Highlands for like a wee minute. Uh, and we have on the phone Malcolm Scott Mill. Malcolm, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Yourself, girls? Oh, oh well, well, Grant, and all the better for hearing you. Thank nice you for the girls. You. Malcolm, thank well, you, you for the girls. You, man, eh? <laughs> <laughs> the chickies. <laughs> Malcolm, you've been with the Book Whisperers right from the beginning. How have you found it? Uh, yeah, yeah, as I said, it was for I put on one of the comments on the blog that it made me pick up my pen again. And as one of life's procrastinators, that's that's no mean feat. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm dreadful, dreadful procrastinator. I tell you what, though, you've... Bad, I, 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 was, I had some classes arranged for it, but they got cancelled. <laughs> by you or by the by <laughs> pandemic? <laughs> there's a positive side to procrastination. You've always got something forward to tomorrow. <laughs> uh, no, it's, it's been great. It's, I just, I, 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 it's, I'm not going to say something corny. I've rekindled my passion for writing, but I've always dabbled and written and just written for pleasure for myself, you know. But it's uh, having a, a sort of focus and a, something we can all strike it has been fantastic. So, oh, and, uh, that's that, brilliant. That bit of my memoir I put up is, is 90% true. And then I, I did get run over when I was a kid, so. Oh, wow. uh, we visited yeah. it was it was uh, it was quite cathartic actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, do, I do think the writing is is one of the most cathartic things you can ever do. Yeah, <clears throat> it just gets it. You know, something that you might fret about in your head, it gets it out of your head and onto paper, so you don't have to think about it anymore. It's an open market, Mary. Isn't it? Yeah, as you just said that it's just pen and paper, and away you go. Yeah, that's a be- it's such a democratic thing, isn't it? I have to say though, you know. Although everybody, you know, throughout lockdown could, could see that you had a really funny, quirky, sort of off-the-wall style, if, I do, if you don't mind me saying so. What we didn't <laughs> realise was that you're also a storyteller. Yeah, I, I do. I do. I, I run a walk into I've kind of went to semi-retirement um, in the last two or three years. I've as my, my dear old dad's uh, carer for, official carer for, for three years. Yeah. Uh-huh. And he passed in September. And then oh, I'm seeing this out with the issue of my lovely wife, who's busy working away, working from home. Um, but uh, I'll not be going back to work full time. 
Mm-hmm. So I've developed my own interest and I've, uh, I've done my walking tour now for about a year, a year and a bit. Ah, oh, that's brilliant. Tell us a bit about that Yeah, tell us about it. Well, it's a walking tour with Burke Hare, so it's, it's, not, <laughs> it's not the most uh, light-hearted mm. of the subjects. But uh, again, it's a nod to my, my kind of roots because my, my roots are uh, Scots-Irish for the, the, the Cougate. Oh, Way back, I've traced my family back to 1840. Oh, we came oh, across fantastic. in the first kind of Irish diaspora. Um, and my granny was a, a kind of authority on Birkenhair. My, my late dad told me she used to scare his brother's witness with stories of Birkenhair if he didn't behave himself. <laughs> so That's she was a real, she a real character uh, in, in the, the county in the grass market was Alice. So she lived to the ripe old age of 92. Wow. Um, wow. She, she was quite a fearsome character as well. So I've got wealthy stories about her as well. And I was just saying that last week. I talked to one of my dad's cousins, a, a, a lovely lad called uh, Franny. That, you know, you, you don't realise at the time, but when, when your, your forebearers are, are recounting stories, you should stick a tape recorder in front of them. Yes. Oh, yeah. Because when, yeah. They, when they go, all, all that, all that, yeah. all that all evocation, all that storytelling goes with them, you know? Yeah. yeah. A lot of people... Yeah, so my walking tour is, is about the, what was called the Westport Murders, and it was the two uh, Irish navvies barking here. Wow. And I try and dispel a few myths about them as well. First one being the one grave robbers. No, they never got to grave, did they? Kind of the middlemen. They were, they were cold-blooded murderers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was basically, uh, it was two worlds colliding because you had the kind of establishment in Edinburgh, of which the anatomists are very much a part of that. Um, and their, 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 their actual anatomy classes were accepted as part of the curriculum of MB University, the medical mm-hmm. faculty. So yeah. there was this kind of, a, a blind eye was being turned by the establishment as well. Yeah. They, they knew what was they, going on. They yeah. definitely knew. But they were desperate yeah. to get hold of bodies, weren't they? And that, that's yeah. right, yeah. And it, yeah. Uh, and it actually drove the, the, the adoption of the Anatomy Act. Mm-hmm. So yeah. once again, Edinburgh, we told them it was at the vanguard of, of of something kind of revolutionary, giving your organs up for, for medical science, you know. Yeah. You just didn't know it at the time. <laughs> and I don't, uh, I don't glorify them either. It's not like I Jack the no. Ripper walk, what a great no. guy Jack the Ripper was, you know. No, <laughs> no, 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 but exactly. Yeah, because there is a little bit of that, and in, in you know, I think you're right, Malcolm. Sometimes there's a little bit of that in history too is that people kind of glorify, don't they? Uh, and they yeah. embellish it, and, and that's not what you're doing. Yeah, that's yeah. not what you're doing. Oh, good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, though, Malcolm, you had me at that phrase cold blooded murderers. It's right. Uh, you, it, he do, do us a favour. He do us a favour. Do the target thing. The tag eye, there's been a murder eye. You see? <laughs> I'll tell you what, you have a voice made for broadcasting, They used to film, film Taggart in my road where I used to live. I used to live in Harriet, Harriet Place. And they used to, um, they filmed one of the Taggart things in the flat of that. See, look at that. Yeah. They're all, they're all, all, they're, they're all starry here, Malcolm. Yeah. They're all starry. Now, where can we it get a hold of you? The actors. <laughs> I tell you, what, I have to say, I think I'm going to come on those tours. That oh, I'm going. Mega. Yeah. How do how do we find you? How do we hunt you down? Don't get scared. Well, we're on Eventbrite, and uh, again, we're not to my procrastination. I've, I've not got the tour up and running again because I'm going to do a more uh, generic tour. I'm working on the, the closes and wines of Edinburgh. Oh, brilliant! The touristy market, even though we're all straightened with this horrible COVID, Aye. so I'm, I'm working on that as well. Um, but I'll, I'll be putting the bucket here one back up in the next couple of days. But I'll, I'll organise it separately for us. Yeah, um, I mean, I, quick, I quick question: Are you going to are you going to write a book of your stories? 
Pardon? Are you going to write a book of your stories, the the history of uh, Birkenhair and your 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 Talbots and wines and all the rest of it? Are you going to actually There's already write... a kind of quite a seminal one out there, made in my works, kind of based on the historian guy Owen Dudley Edwards. He's oh, he was a historian at the terrible thing about yeah. Birkenhair. But oh. um, certainly, I've been on a couple of other tours where they mention him. And I think, well, my one compares quite favourably to that. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, so, I, I do that. You're know, welcome. There I do lot, that. <laughs> there, there are lots of books about Burke and Hare, but there's, I mean, that's the thing. There's, there's always room for more because people are nah. fascinated by the stories. So, you know, don't, yeah. your, your take on them, you know, it, it might be worth actually putting into print. Certainly folk tales. Yeah, that's, that's a great show. Mm. William Burke actually was, was quite an intelligent guy. Mm. And um, he, he fell into, he, he kind of fell into the, the, the selling of cadavers by kind of meeting William here. Yeah. Because uh, Buck, Buck could speak, like, obviously speak Irish or Gaelic as we know it. Uh, he, he wrote fluently as well. And, and adult literacy was quite high in Scotland anyway, post the Reformation. Mm-hmm. But for his kind of class, he wrote quite stylishly. Um, he went to what's called revitalist meetings, which was a kind of what we would now call a con celebration of the different faiths. So he could be seen walking about the grass market on a Sunday with his Bible. I tried to critical having knocked having put somebody six feet under the night before. Gosh, that's but, so um, fascinating. He was he, he was uh, he could he could dance a, 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 an Irish jig. He could play the he was a fifer in the in the Donegal militia, so he could play the penny whistle in that as well. So it was, it was kind of surprising how he fell into it. Yeah. Um, just a bloodlust and Mm. He was an alcoholic as well as most of them were in the days as well because yeah. the water supply was so crap. But he actually spent some time in Lee, where mm-hmm. I'm from. Right. So I'm guessing trying to find out where, where he actually lived. So that might be an angle to come at it. Yeah. 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 Am I right in thinking, Malcolm, that the um, the death masks of Bir- Birkin here are uh, to be seen in the Portrait Museum? Am I right? But it's the not port- a portrait museum, it's portrait the, uh, gallery. the anatomy school in Newquay yes, Hall. Yes, yeah, yeah. It's open Newquay the Hall. first Saturday of every month. Oh, okay, okay. And his skeleton's still there. Oh, really? Didn't, didn't they and make a, a, a wallet out of his skin? They did, that's in the uh, Royal College of Studies Museum up yeah. at uh, Clark Street. Yeah. Gosh, you know what? You've got a lot going on there. I have to yeah. say, and I'm with Mary. Actually, I think if you were ever to publish a book, the, the the advantage that you have is that you're also such a storyteller and a character. I think you know throwing throwing yeah. that mm. that ability behind a book, I think, yeah. would be a fascinating. Bring those thing. stories to life, yeah. really. Yeah, yeah. 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 You're, you're embarrassing me now, Susan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You but know, you're not really keep going. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm not. <laughs> No, phrenology uh, was big at the time as well. Yeah, it's the reading, reading the skull, it was, wasn't it? it oh, yeah. Side. Just, you, you could work at your, your personality because you're feeling your lumps and your bumps. So the, 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 On your uh, skull. Of, the, <laughs> death mass, uh, the death mass on the back of uh, phrenology as well escapes me. There was a, the leading proponent of them there as well. His name escaped me. But um, yeah, we've got some kind of grizzly mementos in Bucking here purely by accident because this is obviously days before. It was, 20 years before the advent of photography. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but then mm-hmm. photography was only for people that could afford to sit for yeah. for studio photographs. Like photography for the masses was very much a 20th century thing. Aye. Yeah. Aye. I love it. Love it. Thank you so much. So yeah. Eventbrite is, is where we can find you. And we can find you on Facebook as well, can't we? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's Malcolm Scott. Scott. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. What's it called? 
Scott Walking Tours. Scott Walking Tours. Brilliant. Brilliant. Oh. Well, shall the three of us go along together? Yeah. yeah. You know, can you can you have a wee space for three very rowdy women on the yeah, tour? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who will heckle you the whole way around? <laughs> That's brilliant, Malcolm. Thank you so much. Good luck with it all, and we'll see you soon. Great stuff. Take care. Bye. 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 Oh, that was great, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely mega. I have to say that does sound incredible. I love that insider knowledge. I have to say it. It's fun, isn't it? So, so three rowdy women. Are we going to get on our, our matching trainers? Oh yeah. Yes. And our our, our matching masks. It'd be nice to have masks that are um, Burke and Hare related. You know, like actually have a mask. No, like you can get those masks that actually look like it's your skull underneath. You know, (laughs) I thought you were going to say book whisperers. Yeah, we'll do that. And Mary, are you going to wear your tufta ball gown? I think we should do the same. (laughs) Mary sleeps in her tufta ball gown. It's a fixture. It's a fixture. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe maybe, maybe we should go in costume. I think we should. Yeah. I think we should. Just embarrass Malcolm just that little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are now going to um, do that thing of reading mm. out some of our work in progress, aren't That's we? Famous. But the themed work in progress is, is, is stuff that we have written or are writing or are working on. Um, inspired by history. Mm. So shall I get out the straws? <laughs> <laughs> All I know is that I want to go before Lee. Okay. Because I don't, I don't want to go after Lee. <laughs> I find that demoralising. And also it gives people to something to look forward to. <laughs> oh, I see. So it's all going to come after me. In that case, I'll go. Oh, <laughs> oh so no, no you're really right, though. You're absolutely right. <laughs> I've got two bits. Okay. You've got a big bit. Okay. okay, so I'll do a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Just a wee bit. It's, listen, we've got papers. Again. You see, so this, it's not just thrown together, is it, this? No, no, it's not, not just thrown together. We thought about it. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll crack on with um, a little bit of a novel that's been a work in progress for quite some time. <laughs> and uh, the background is really that uh, there is an orphan child who who uh, grew up on Canongate and was uh, uh, brought up by a single mother. So it's it reads as follows... And it's not going to be Leish. It's not going to be. It's not going to be Lee-ish. lovely. I know. Leish. This is a new word we've created. Yeah, it it's Leish. Ears down and listening. Oh, that's it. <laughs> the memory of huddling up with his mother late at night to watch a series of documentaries on an old Scottish family, who lived in the same grand house on the same huge estate for generations, had never left him. The same time each week. They would sit in their little old-town flat, blowing over rims of hot cups of sugared milk, fascinated by every glorious detail of the Laird and his lands, on their old black-and-white portable which gamely flickered in the darkness. He remembered how they'd watched the kilted Laird clumsily casting a fly into his loch, while the grey-haired ghillie who stood behind him rolled his eyes straight to camera. They'd watch scenes of peachy children come home from boarding school, raucously rolling down a sloping manicured lawn, and the whole family sitting down to dinner at a shiny dark wooden table, which was so long that the laird, who sat at one end, 
couldn't be heard by the lady who sat at the other. (laughs) So he resorted to banging the table with his fist just to get her attention. It went on to become their little joke, that banging of the fist. His mother had done it once at the Wimpy and oh how they'd laughed. John and his mother would muse over their shared daydream about what it would be like to be landed, privileged and free, whilst they traipsed down the Canongate cobbles, carrying between them the big basket of filthy sheets ready for washing and ironing. Of course it was just a daydream, but he longed for security, for belonging. And now decades later, out of the blue, he had it. He had it all. Or rather, it had just taken someone to tell him that it had been his all along. Oh, mm. that sounds marvellous. And you read that beautifully. Yeah. Thank you very you much, Collar. You had us wrapped. Yeah. Wrapped in king film. No. You couldn't run away. I had wrapped you. <laughs> Tied us to the chairs, yes. <laughs> no, that was beautiful. That it was, was really something. beautiful. Damn. I've got to follow you. See, yeah, that yes, just makes thanks. me happy in that's, a really cruel way. That, that's, that's it. From now, from now on, I'm going first because it's just too demoralising. There you go. You got a cuckoo there. Uh, <laughs> okay. All right. Well, well, the background to mine is that I'm I'm writing a novel, my first novel, hey. um, and because uh, it's because I'm a memoir writer. Um, at the moment, the, the novel is written all in first person, so it's going to have to change. Yeah. Yeah. So this is this is a first draft, but uh, the novel is about um, a modern day woman who is uh, being regressed through hypnosis. And so she's experiencing a, um, I, I know, and I started writing this long before I met you, Sue. <laughs> so this is slightly nerve-wracking on several levels. Um, but, yeah, so she's, she's being regressed back to Saxon times, so around about sort of 840. Um, and uh, so there's I, I've all the research I've done in Saxon and Viking attacks and what was happening is based in the northeast of England, what was Northumbria at the time. Um and uh, so yes, this is this is all all the past experiences are experienced through hypnosis. His words brought back unwelcome memories of violence, something I knew all about. When I was a girl and the Vikings came, we ran and hid. We would desert our homes and villages and just run to hide in the forests that covered so much of the land. Those that didn't run or could not hide were killed or taken as slaves. It was simply a fact of life. Then, when I first joined the nuns of St Hild, I'd been cloistered in a house which was all women. I remember those days like they were golden, a simple and quiet existence. Then the Vikings came, without warning one day, and everything changed. I had survived, but only barely. I heard the first screams with a horror I felt in my bowels and knew we were attacked. My instinct to hide had immediately taken over, and I didn't run or scream, but slunk into the shadows, moving carefully away from the sleeping hall. With a remote detachment, I remembered it. The Vikings were busy, raping the young nuns and killing the older ones. There was noise everywhere, screaming and shrieking of women, the roaring of warriors, the scraping of swords and the clang of metal hitting stone, and slicing through sinew. We hadn't any weapons to defend ourselves, nor the strength to do so. We were only women, but that didn't save us. Our church had silver, 
and it was rich pickings for the raiding band who had no fear of God's retribution. The smell of fear was everywhere. The metallic tang of blood tingled with the acrid urine of terror. Through it all, the calm came over me as I moved and I felt like an angel. Maybe even my mother was protecting me from harm. I entered the kitchens, moving quietly behind a wooden pillar as a dishevelled and terrified nun ran through the other door. A large, mail-clad Viking chased in after her, his crooked and dented helm still upon his head. He grabbed her by the hair, which was flying loose with a force that pulled her off her feet. I remained as still as I could as he threw her onto the table and pulled up her torn robes while she screamed and thrashed about, scratching his face. He yelled, punching her in the face. She instantly went limp. Then he continued to rape her as I made my way quietly behind them, creeping out of the door, keeping as close to the wall as I could. As soon as I was free of the scene, I picked up my skirts and started to run, but had to quickly change direction as I saw a band of the demons in the courtyard, encircling a number of nuns who they tied together with rope. One of the Vikings had just pulled an older nun from the group and skewered her on a sword. She had been shouting at him, and she had a look of surprise on her face as she looked at her killer. Then she collapsed in a heap at his feet and he kicked her dead body. I ducked into the barn, the only building between me and the courtyard, and dug my way into the haystack. There I found one of the young girls whom we taught at that place. She was a pretty little girl, the daughter of a local lord, always cheerful and bright, but today she was the picture of terror. She jumped when I first touched her under the hay, but then looked comforted by my presence. She shifted over to let me get further under the hay, and in that instance I heard the wooden barn door kicked aside. There was only a moment of silence as we held our breath. Then she started to be dragged away from me. Her movements must have been seen by the Viking, and he grabbed her foot from under the hay. She screamed and clawed to get away from him. She tried to grab my hands, but I pulled them away under my chest. We would both be doomed if I held on to her. She was dragged out of the haystack, kicking and screaming as the warrior dragged her off. I will never forget her eyes as she pleaded silently for help, knowing that I was powerless to do anything. I lay in that haystack, silently crying for hours until the sound of the Vikings had completely disappeared. I do not know what happened to the child. Most likely, she would have been sold as a slave or killed. There was nothing I could have done to save her. Nothing. But I still felt bad to have pulled away from her when she needed me most. Oh, cracking. Cracking. I need to be lying down, but that's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> that's the biz. That's, that's really pretty really dark biz. times, yeah. I have to say. They were pretty, I mean, it's, it's all, I mean, you know, so like the, they didn't actually, uh, one of the reasons they named their children, the the, the, the like Thomas or whatever, was the, the, the name of the oldest child. And yeah, when the, the oldest gender. child died, the next child would be called Thomas, you know, because they just didn't have any, you know. Any guarantee. Uh, any that, guarantee yeah. of, of surviving, you know. It was such a dangerous time. Um, and then you got the Vikings coming. <laughs> you got these bullies, basically. They just come and go. Oh, we want what you got, yeah. and uh, I would just literally come in and take it and kill everyone and, and slave it's them. It's the relentlessness yeah. of the writing, yeah. isn't it? You know, yeah. you get up, somebody's skewered. Oh, somebody else is skewered. Mm-hmm. Oh, somebody else is sold. It's like, yeah. and, and that there's just no escape from it. There's right? no escape. There's no escape. So. Gosh, the full force of that writing, that's wonderful. Yeah. So I'm just going to have a wee oh, lie down in that corner. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had to follow that one. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I don't know if I want to speak now. Oh, yes, you I've do. Only got, I've only got a little paragraph that I've sort of set out. Um, 
And my story is something I'm currently right, currently working on and doing a re-edit, a bit of an edit mm. to it. Um, but it's based in the 1960s. It involves a family whose mother has a catastrophic breakdown. And in this part of the story, uh, the mother has just been literally carted off and the child has no family around her who will actually take her on board. So she's just been put into foster care. She's been taken to the foster carers and it's all very strange for her. So that reads as follows. Can you hear my paper? Mm -hmm. <laughs> paper, paper and everything. A face appears at the four-inch crack at the bottom of the door. You all right, my babber? I hope you've not taken up camp in there because Nanny has to do a wee. Can you open the door for me? I sit, paralysed, drawing my legs up while sitting on the toilet seat. Then, unexpectedly, I fall backwards, folding in on myself and becoming quite stuck, bottom end through the seat. Outside the door, Nanny calls for assistance. Marlon, can you come here, please? Do Nanny a favour and crawl under that door. I think our Frankie's got stuck down the po. <laughs> Marlon shimmies beneath the door and undoes the lock. The look on his face doesn't chastise, but conveys a sense of recognition. It says nothing and everything in that small moment that passes between us. With the door open, Nanny sets about freeing me. Bet you didn't see that one coming, did you? She giggles. No harm done. At least you didn't yank the chain at the same time. My lower lip begins to quiver. I can't help it. Am I going to get into trouble now? Nanny opens her arms. I flinch, waiting for the strike to come. But instead... Nanny envelops me, losing me in her warm softness and holding on like she's never going to let go. Nanny's got you. It's OK now. Then she produces a fruit salad sweetie from a pinny pocket and with a wink says, Shh, don't tell anyone. Oh, a fruit salad sweetie. <laughs> oh, that's not to love. And <clears throat> accents as well this week. Oh, yeah. The, the You're kind of doing accent. that thing of raising the bar every <laughs> week. And just when we thought we might have cracked it, Mary, she's thrown in the accents. Well, that, that, you know, that, that's, that's a storyteller. You know, yeah. That's what storytelling does. <laughs> but she's got to constantly raise the bar because, you know, as we get better, you know, oh, yeah. we, we, you know we have to keep I mean, getting better, you know. So. What's going to happen to me when you're at my stage? Yeah, I'll, yeah. Just, I'll be thrown out. I'll be hoofed out. Hoofed out. Hoofed out. Well, I've got something from the Good Housewives Guide of 1955, yeah, yeah. which means that we'll all be hoofed out. All right. <laughs> because the Good Housewives Guide of 1955 lists 20 things that you have to do as a good wife. Oh. Yes. And number three. Uh, wait a minute. Number let four, me just get number my... 17. Have you got a wee notebook? I've there? just got my notebook and a pen ready. <laughs> yes. Yes. Stenography. Pen. You got your yeah. pen? Yeah. Oh, you popped the pen. <laughs> did you <laughs> pop the pen there? Yes. You did. <laughs> oh. Well, I thought I'd just have a little, little, little choice bitties out of the Good Housewives Guide number in 1955. Number tip three is prepare yourself. Take 15 minutes to rest so you'll be refreshed when he arrives home. Touch up your makeup, put a ribbon in your hair and be fresh looking. He has just been with a lot of work weary people. Oh. Instruction number four, be a little gay and a little more interesting for him. His boring day may need a lift and one of your duties is to provide it. 
Oh, be fluffy. Be all fluffy indeed. <laughs> and number 17, don't ask him questions about his actions or question his judgment or integrity. Integrity. I can't say that word. Integrity. Integrity. (laughs) (laughs) Remember, he is the master of the house and as Mm. such will always exercise his will with fairness and truthfulness. You have no right to question him. (gasps) You know what I'd want to respond to that with? Have you ever read Roald Dahl's Lamb to Slaughter? Mm -mm. Oh, Oh, it's a cracker. This woman, she's, she's waiting for her husband. He comes home. She's pregnant. She's knitting away. And he tells her, he actually tells her that he's going to leave her because he's got someone else on the side. And um, what she does, she <laughs> she gets the lamb. The, the leg of lamb. The leg of lamb. She cracks him over the head. He's in the yes. police. She cracks him over the head, kills him, and then goes round. I think she goes round to the butchers and gets something else for tea, comes back, puts the leg of lamb in the in the oven, and then all of a sudden feigns, oh, my God, what's happened? He's been murdered whilst I've been away. And all the police pile in and they're all looking at their friends saying, oh, crumbs, it's terrible. Was anything taken? No, no, I'm just shocked. And um, they're all sort of working on on the body and, and stuff like that. And, and then they find, uh, then she says, oh, well, you must sit and eat. You must you must eat something. <laughs> and she gets them to sit down and they eat this leg of lamb. Because they're sort of saying, the it must be weapon. a big blunt yeah. thing that killed him. <laughs> and there they are eating the murder weapon. Fantastic story. Love it. That's brilliant. That's it in a, a synopsis. Do you want me to read a bit of... Yes, yes. Midlothian, Midlothian folk folktales. Tales. Absolutely. A bit Absolutely. from Midlothian folktales. Um, this is from my own book. Ta-da! Just give it a punt. Ta-da. Called Midlothian Folk Tales. And um, the story here is Half Hanged Maggie. And I'll just read I'll just read the first couple of paragraphs mm. and take it from there. In 1702, a certain Maggie Dixon was born to fisher folk in Fisher Row, Musselburgh. She was a raggedy wee thing, all elbows and knees, with not an ounce of fat on her. Her hair hung in ragtails beneath her scarf, and her dark eyes looked as if they'd been set with smudgy fingers. She was the eldest of her mother's brood, and didn't all the other ones know it? Bossy and cussed, quick of wit and sharp of tongue, she kept her siblings in line, taking on the role of the second mother, and had a set of lungs that could outcall even the best of the local fish hawkers. As soon as she was old enough, she was put to work alongside her mother and aunties. For the women, work began before the fishermen's boats had left the harbour. Maggie quickly learned how to clean the lines, also known as redding, and attach mussels and bucky as bait. This skill required great care. One slip, and a finger could be sliced. Once the fish had been brought to the harbour and had been cleaned and gutted, they then had to be sold. Maggie's tiny frame bent as she helped to carry freshly caught fish into Edinburgh. Early morning saw her disappearing up the street with quick, heavy steps, off to sell her wares. She took to carrying the creel on her back at an early age, earlier than most, although this was not surprising given the number of mouths that needed feeding in her family household. Hunger and poverty were never far from their door. Ooh, that's good, isn't it? I do, and I I love the story of Half Hanging Maggie. It's it's real history of Edinburgh and Scotland, and you know, there's such a, I mean, there's there's such a richness um, to looking at looking at the stories of our own culture and our own history, Mm. Uh, and I do think that one's particularly good. 
meaty one. And what a lovely way to end our session, really, yeah. talking of history. Because that's what we started yeah. on. Yeah. <laughs> I think actually it's been a really nice session. Thank you, because I, I learned such a lot. You know, everybody's got such different ways of writing, and we hope that, that you'll be inspired to look through the history books and then let that catapult you into the world of creative yeah. writing. As, as Malcolm said, you don't have to embellish it, you don't have to, you know, put it up in lights, but you know, you can tell it as it is and you can add your own flair yeah. to it. So yeah. thank you very much. Where can everybody find the book whisperers moving forward? Well we've got the website which is www.thebookwhisperers.com. Uh, or you can find us as the Book Whisperers on Facebook. And uh, you need to request to join. The, we're a closed group. I'm a closed group so that you can share your writing without anybody being able to share it uh, or steal it or anything else. So um, it's, a, it's a protection for everybody who that's. And it's well, a supportive group. Too. It yeah, is a really yeah. supportive group. And, and when, when Mary says it's a closed group, she's standing there in her ball gown. <laughs> ball gown. Ball Ball gown. Ball gown. Ball gown. Ball gown. In their taffeta and their wellies going, thou shalt not pass. Yeah. With my Gandalf staff. Yes. <laughs> so do, do join us. It's, it is a supportive community yeah. of, of uh, writers. And, and the uh, more the merrier. Yeah, I yeah. think so. Yeah. And it is a really merry group, isn't mm. it? You know, there's a lot of energy going on there. A so, lot of fun. Yeah, pick up your your. your pen and your paper and strut your considerably funky stuff that's yeah. what I would say <laughs> yeah. and, do, and if you do join us do do give us some whisperings give us some questions that you'd like to to hear us answer or talk about or any subjects you want us to talk about on the podcast yes because well, we don't get out a lot either do we no, we're writers no. we were normally sort of shut down in sheds <laughs> with our noses glued to screens <laughs> I thought you were going to say to the window. (laughs) (laughs) Now he's glued to the window looking out going, is that the real world? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the best of weeks. What are we all going to be doing, girls? Let me guess. Writing. (gasps) What is writing? Podcasting. Podcasting, writing. Yes, I'm actually going away. I'm actually going away uh, for a few days. Don't leave! (laughs) Come back, take a pen with you. Take us with you! Writing retreat, yes. (laughs) We'll get our ball gowns out and everything. (laughs) Have a brilliant week. (laughs) Have a good week, everyone. Adieu.